in several ways. Uh, not that we're trying to be unique. Uh, we're, we're trying to be a community of faith that is as complete and authentic as we can to this faith. And that includes the observing of holy days of the Bible as found in Leviticus 23. And their varied forms and emphasis and additional ones that have been added in both Judaism and Christianity. And in that process, we have better understood the relationship between the Jewish and Christian expressions of those biblical holy days, as well as the ones that are unique to each of those faith traditions. But in the process, we found it necessary for our understanding and for the instruction of our children and converts to add some minor holy days of our own. Uh, one of those is the service that we do today, uh, which we call the New Creation Service, somewhat ending the High Holy Days and Sukkot. Um, and I thought I would go over the passages that we have just read so that I can explain it, and then if you have questions about those, uh, we can talk about that as well. So to start this, I'd like to have you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. Those verses were not read in our uh, liturgy earlier, but it is the basis of this message. In verse 7 of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, We speak God's wisdom in a mystery, hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. A wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which has not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have, not, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Uh, this, is, this is a fascinating passage. And it's drawn from the book of Isaiah. Now remember, the book of Isaiah is where the Lord says, you will have eyes, but you will not see, and you will have ears, but you will not understand. And Jesus quotes that when he's giving the parables. And yet he says to his disciples, it's been given to you. Paul, in the same way here, is saying that there are things that are revealed, and they're in plain sight in the scriptures, but they're understood by the Spirit who inspired them within the community of faith to those to whom it is given, those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. I think that many of the things that are uh, in the Scriptures are uh, easily confused by Bible translators and Bible teachers and Bible interpreters, in part because we create these systems where we've got it all figured out, and then if a verse doesn't match that system, we just don't talk about that verse. I believe that ultimately these things that we need to understand 
uh, have to include all the texts that are given to us. And therefore, I am constantly trying to understand how that works. We'll see some of that today. But there is also some things that are not revealed. I'm always reminded in the book of Revelation when John hears seven thunders speak. And he gets ready to write that down and he's told, don't write it down. And that is never given. Which means we still don't have all the pieces. I believe that that will be revealed probably at the time that it's actually needed. You recall in Daniel, after given the prophecy, he says, seal it up. Because this is for later. So when the prophecies are sealed or misunderstood, they are often done because they're needed later. But there's also those who have ears to hear and those who don't have ears to hear that creates confusion even of those things that are available to us now. So what I want to do today is go through today's services uh, readings. Uh, I'm going to take them out of the order of the liturgy. You know that our liturgy begins with a call to worship. Then we enter the place where the uh, altar is, so we would pre- present ourselves, our vows, and our offerings to the Lord. Then we enter into the holy place where we pray and share testimony, and then we ultimately come to the ark where the scriptures are to hear from the word of God in that context as our worship approaches God. Now, I believe that's a, a good liturgy structure, but the uh, verses that we use for the liturgy today had to be conformed to that structure and therefore may not reinforce in your minds what they ought to reinforce. So I thought I would take a little more time to uh, uh, talk about them. So we're going to begin with Isaiah 65. We're going to look at the section where we had Isaiah 65 and then Isaiah 66 and then the book of Revelation. This will give us kind of our uh, big picture uh, framework for this. In Isaiah 65, beginning at verse 17, God says, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Be glad and rejoice forever that I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. There will no longer be heard in her, meaning Jerusalem, the voice of weeping, the sound of crying. No longer will be there an infant that lives a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. The youth will die at the age of a hundred, and the one who does not reach the age of a hundred will be thought accursed. They will build houses and inhabit them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and then another inhabit. This idea is that the lifetime and the creation will be at its fullness. Now, God is talking about a new heaven and a new earth. But he's really talking here about the restoration of this one where there is still mortality. But that mortality will be uh, limited in terms of its scope. Very much as it was in the earlier days before the flood when people lived longer. And so this is probably talking about the kingdom to come in that in that sense. He says that the wolf and the lamb will graze together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. 
and dust will be the serpent's food. Clearly a, a text that goes back to the Garden of Eden. A restoration of this creation to all that it can be within its mortal limitations. But even mortality will be limited in that context. Now, I believe that that is the... Uh, the period of restoration that we call the kingdom or the messianic age. Then we have uh, in chapter 66 uh, some passages in verse 22 where he says, Just as the new heavens and the new earth I will make will endure before me, declares the Lord. So your offspring and your name will endure. And it will be from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will come to bow down before me, says the Lord. They will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, where for their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched. And they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. Now, Jesus actually quotes this text when he talks about Gehenna, or the lake of fire, the hellfire of eternal judgment. And this word, their worm, notice it doesn't mean T-H-E-R-E, but T-H-E-I-R, they're in a possessive sense. Their worm, meaning their, uh, their being, uh, their consciousness, if you will, doesn't die, but the fire is not quenched. This idea of a judgment that is eternal, just like the heaven is eternal. So this passage seems to be talking about what you and I refer to as the new heaven and new earth. Notice some overlap that the new includes the restoration of the present and then its replacement by something completely different. I think that's really important. We will see in scripture that Ezekiel sees a temple in the kingdom, but John sees no temple in the New Jerusalem. And therefore, these are not talking about exactly the same place, but they are talking about a context. Now, this is confusing to a lot of people because the church has created various ideas about end-time theology. I've had some people... Bring that up to me that it's time to have another series on that to try to clarify that. I hope to do that. But part of this service is for us to kind of see that whole extended process. So it ultimately shows up in Revelation 21. And there it's pretty clear what is being spoken of says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So there is a restoration that's part of this new, but the new, when it is fully ready to be completed, the older one, the former one, now passes away. I've talked about this before. If you're building a house, a new house, you don't live in the new house until it's complete. You keep the other house in restoration the best you can, and you will not give that one up until you fully move in to the new one. So in the process of the kingdom, the new creation has begun, 
but it's not in full place. And we'll see that's also true of ourselves in that context. So he says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God will, will, himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So not only will there be no crying, crying, he will wipe away those tears. And there will be no longer any death. Not a child who lives to a hundred or an old man who lives beyond a hundred. There will be no death in this context. There will not be any mourning. There will be no crying or pain. Because those first things, though limited in the, in the kingdom, have passed away. That's really an amen thing, you know. And he said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write these words are faithful and true. And so he then says, The one who overcomes these things, I will be as God, he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelievers, the abominable, the murderers, immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So we have this clear connection between Isaiah 66 and Revelation chapter 21 about the full new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. Now, what's part of this? The old is not adequate, even with the promises of God. God is going to do something beyond that. And that brings us to the passage that we started the service with, Jeremiah 31, 31. God has told Israel that they will not be able to keep his covenant. Deuteronomy, he says, you will not be able to keep this covenant and I will kick you out of the land and you will find yourselves among the nations and you will cry out to me and I will bring you back. Okay? Now he's not going to bring them back and say, try again. He's going to bring them back and fix the problem. What Paul says, what the law could not do, weak through the flesh, God did in sending his son to condemn sin in the flesh. Right? So here's the promise made to Israel. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God and they will be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying know the Lord. For they will all know me from the least to the greatest declares the Lord. When I forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now it's important to understand that God says to Israel when he gave them his commandments originally, these commandments shall be on your heart. Right? But they have a heart problem. They had a heart of stone, as do we. And therefore, there must be 
a new birth, a spiritual birth that will change that heart so that God can write these commandments on the heart because we can't do it. And that we find in Ezekiel 36. This new covenant is God saying to Israel in verse 22. Thus tell the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to act, for my, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. Israel goes out among the nations. It's got these great commandments, but it still can't fully do them. And therefore, God's name becomes profaned among the nations. God is going to redeem Israel and glorify himself among the nations. And so he says that what he's going to do in this context is he's going to... uh, I've lost my verse. Okay, he says, I will gather you into the land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Notice the order, the regathering into the land, has, which has already partially happened, is not done after they've been sprinkled, but they will be sprinkled once they're there. I uh, sprinkle you with clean water and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your filthiness and your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will pour my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Now that sounds an awful lot to me like they'll finally be able to keep the commandments. Because God's spirit will cause them to do that. We can't claim that that's going on now because if that's true, very few people have the spirit, right? You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. And God says, I'll multiply uh, the field and and it'll be like the Garden of Eden and the nations around will recognize this and know what's going on. Now, if you read the next chapter... We don't have time to do that. You will see that immediately after this, God talks about resurrection. It's the valley of the dry bones in that context. Um, So, in Ephesians, Paul makes it clear to us as Gentiles that we are not left out of this. That this is not being done simply for Israel. It is to the Jew first, But it includes us. And so he says in Ephesians 2 verse 11. You used to be Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. And at that time you were separated from Messiah. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. You can't get much worse off than that. Okay. But now in Christ Jesus, you formerly who were afar off have been made near by the blood of Christ. And he himself is our peace who has made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, uh, into one, breaking down the barrier and dividing the wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is in the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Not the commandments themselves, the enmity that... It was brought about by that covenantal 
situation. And that he in himself might make the two into one new man. Now, I'm trying, I don't know if, if we'll get this in the new American Standard Update, but I'm trying to get them to change this to one new humanity, because that's really what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about a single man. He's talking about a new manhood, a new humanity that will, that will no longer divide as Jew and Gentile and bond and free and all of those things. There may be Jew and Gentile in it. The nations are not going away because they, they are going to be part of this new creation and Israel will be part of the new creation. But there will be no enmity between us. All that happened at Babel will no longer be there. And so that's what he's talking about in that context. Now, the gospel, which is to the Jew first, and ours through what Paul calls the mystery of the gospel, has included us into these promises. So the people of God is now expanded to include those nations making one new humanity. And therefore, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians becomes very, very important. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There's just one verse. I could take the context there. But uh, it's not out of context in this, in this framework. Where Paul says, 5.17, Therefore, uh, if anyone is in Messiah, that would be a Jew or a Gentile, he is a new creation. That's literally what it says. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Now what's going on there? You hear the echo of Isaiah. You hear the book of Revelation in this idea of all things new. When you and I became believers, we were born again in our spirit. And our spirit, uh, with the infusion of God's spirit, now becomes part of that new creation. But my mind is still part of this creation. And my body is really still part of this creation. But we have been born again to a hope that will include the resurrection of the body. That will happen in the kingdom, but will carry on through the new creation. So we've already been part of that creation. But God didn't change our mind. He leaves that to us. That's why Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, what is that renewing of our mind? That's found in Colossians chapter 3. We've just celebrated the high priest ministry of Jesus who entered into heaven with his own blood, made atonement for us, And then instead of coming out and finishing the day of atonement, sat down at the right hand of the Father. And Paul says, we have been seated with him in the heavenlies. So we're already part of the new creation, but not all of us is of that new creation. So what Paul says is, so you need to put on the new self. Here comes the mind and the behavior. Have you been raised up with Christ? Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, that is of the new creation, not the present creation. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's what baptism 
uh, symbolizes. And when Christ who is our life is revealed at the second coming, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Because your body will be resurrected and you will be able to fully uh, engage that new creation aspect. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body dead to fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry because you're serving a false god, your passions and your, uh, your drives. It's because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. They're the ones where their worm never dies and the fire is not quenched. In them you used to walk. That's the way we used to be. But now we are to put those aside. Take that off. And we should quit lying to one another. Because we've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. We have put on the new self. Which is being renewed to a true knowledge. According to the image of the one who created him. Now when we were created originally. Out of the dust of the ground, we were created in the image of God. But in the new creation, we are being conformed to the image of His Son. And therefore, it starts with our spirit being born again, and then begins our mind and our behavior struggling against the flesh. No doubt that's a struggle, but we're doing it towards the hope that is coming when we will be raised from the dead and we will be transformed and we will be able from the heart to do all of this. And so Paul is giving us that kind of mindset that the goal for us is to live in the new creation, not in this present creation. Now, those texts are critical for us. I'm watching my time here. Uh, because those of us who are in Christ are now in part part of the new creation. That new creation will ultimately restore the present creation. It will be much better than now, but not as full as the new creation. And the new creation will be all the fullness of Messiah in humanity as the image of God. So while we're waiting... For this to be completed. We're to live in preparation. And anticipation. Of the new creation. That means that we don't want to spend all of our time. Fixing and repairing this house. Because the new house is being built. We're not going to restore the old Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is where we're going to be. And we become the temple of God related to the restoration and the new creation as we grow in grace and in knowledge of him. Waiting for the resurrection, anticipating the kingdom to come when God will be vindicated in all this creation before the nations and before the principalities and powers. And as we prepare for the making of all things new, these things will be something that we haven't even thought of. But God has given us glimpses of them so that we will realize that he is preparing these for those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. And so I think it helps us to have a new creation service once a year 
so that as we talk about the kingdom to come and have our kingdom service, we don't stop there and do the new creation. Now, what happens in most theologies in most churches is they either ignore the kingdom to come and go right to the new creation. That's all millennialism. There are others who believe the gospel is going to make this world better and bring about the, the, the kingdom, and that isn't going to happen. That's post-millennialism. Pre-millennialism is uh, stuck with this idea that uh, we're all going to disappear, and Israel's going to go through the, all the trouble of this, and then we'll come back for the party. Uh, they've all got the same problem. They don't see Israel as central. And while we are included with Israel, we certainly don't replace Israel. And therefore, we need to look at these things differently. And I know that it's hard to do that unless we do it with a liturgy and with symbolism and with songs and with texts in order to do that. Because many of you, uh, when you talk to me about your confusions, I know what that is because I've been there when I was trying to work through all of this. So I'm hoping quickly, as soon as we get, well, at the end of Matthew, we'll talk about this. But after Matthew, I'll do again a last things series to try to address that. So uh, I'm going to stop the tape here and we'll move into Q&A.